It's budget week in Illinois, and on Wednesday we heard Governor J.B. Pritzker outline his spending plan for the upcoming fiscal year. It includes temporary tax relief and fiscal stability investments that Illinois has not seen in decades. I'm Jerry Nowicki with Capital News Illinois, and on this edition of Capital Cast, the team and I are talking numbers. The governor's speech from the old state capitol in Springfield Wednesday was a preview of some of the issues we'll hear throughout his 2022 re-election campaign, from COVID-19 to dealing with violent crime, and it sought to publicize his fiscal track record as compared to his Republican predecessor, who presided over a near two-year budget impasse that crippled state finances. What a self-indulgent position the cynics take, always opposing what's in the best interests of the people of Illinois if they think it will advance their political standing. It's a curious position, but then again, there have long been people in Illinois state politics who have cared more about promoting their own propaganda than they do about what's best for your pocketbooks. During this budget cycle, especially, Seats at the grown-up table will be off-limits to those who aren't working in the public's best interests. Back in 2019, I promised you that we would not allow political posturing by those people to again take the state's finances hostage. I ran for governor to move beyond that, and we have. If you don't believe me, take it from the credit rating agency, S&P. In their announcement last year of Illinois' credit upgrade, they said, The political gridlock that stymied governance a few fiscal years ago has dissipated. Pritzker's plan adds up to a $45.4 billion spending plan for the upcoming fiscal year, complemented by a $1.7 billion supplemental budget to spend an anticipated surplus from the current fiscal year. The plan includes an influx of $500 million to the state's pension fund beyond statutory levels between the two years something that's unheard of in Illinois governance. And it would add $879 million to the state's budget stabilization fund, commonly referred to as the Rainy Day Fund. Between the upcoming budget and the supplemental plan, the governor has also asked lawmakers to approve the payment of $898 million to retire old health insurance bills and another $392 million in accounts payable reductions. The plan also includes temporary tax relief in the form of a one-year freeze on the 1% grocery tax, a property tax rebate up to $300 for families eligible for an existing property tax credit, and a one-year cancellation of a 2.2 cent increase to the state's motor fuel tax. It also adds $350 million to the state's K-12 education formula, bringing the total added investment to K-12 education in Pritzker's tenure to over $1 billion. We'll talk more about some of the budget specifics with the team in a bit, and we'll hear some more clips from the governor and his opponents. But first, a little background. In Illinois, it's impossible to talk about the budget without mentioning the words impasse, backlog, and pensions. On pensions, Illinois has an unfunded liability of about $130 billion, meaning the pension funds are that much short of fully funded. That's lower than it was one year ago when it measured at $144 billion. A recent report from the Commission on Government Forecasting and Accountability said the decrease was due largely to enormous investment growth of about 20% last year. In other words, probably not sustainable. But COGFA also noted in that report, and it's been widely acknowledged by accountants for decades, 
that the state law governing pension payments shortchanges the system by aiming at a 90% funded target rather than 100%. So they should be giving more to pensions, even though they already make up about 20% of the state budgets. And that's why the unfunded liabilities mostly grow. This year, the law calls on the General Assembly to make a $9.6 billion pension payment, and the governor wants to add $500 million to that between the two fiscal years. That would shave off an estimated $1.8 billion from unfunded liabilities. It's certainly not a solution, but it's a start, especially considering that the governor proposed reducing the state's statutory pension payment in his first year in office before quickly abandoning the plan among widespread bipartisan pushback. Now let's talk about the impasse and the backlog, two facets of state government that are largely intertwined. The 736-day budget impasse that took place between 2015 and 2017 is a legacy that cannot be separated from former one-term Republican Governor Bruce Rauner. He took office in 2015 and immediately began pushing for a spate of reforms unpopular with Democratic majorities and the General Assembly. The backbone of those reforms was essentially public employee union busting. The ideological differences between Rauner, House Speaker Michael Madigan, and Senate President John Cullerton, all of whom are now out of state government, led to more than two years without a budget, although there were a couple temporary spending plans that allowed certain expenditures, such as K-12 education. Eventually, state government spending was almost put on autopilot, with court orders and consent decrees mandating payments in certain areas, even as state resources dwindled. The main reason they dwindled so quickly during the impasse was that before Rauner took office, his predecessor, Democrat Pat Quinn, and Democrats in the General Assembly allowed a temporary income tax hike from years earlier to expire. That dropped the rate from 5% to 3.75%, erasing about $4 billion in state revenue overnight. But as a state continued to make the expenditures mandated by judges and continued to not pay several of its bills to vendors and others, debts grew quickly, as did interest payments. The rainy day fund, which contained only about $300 million at its peak, was spent down to essentially nothing. A backlog of unpaid bills, which was always fairly high in Illinois, including at about $5 billion under Quinn when he left office, ballooned to $16.7 billion under Rauner in 2017. The impasse ended that year when the income tax was increased permanently to 4.95% when Democrats and Republicans in the General Assembly came together to override Rauner's veto of the first full operating budget in his tenure, which came in his third year in office. As of Friday, Comptroller Susanna Mendoza's office pegged the backlog at about $2.9 billion. But the ripple effects of the impasse continue to be seen in state government, especially when it comes to social service agencies, education, and higher education. Rauner's political unpopularity, meanwhile, continues to be a boon for political democratic strategists. You can look no further than the emails we receive from the Democratic Party of Illinois characterizing just about any candidates in the GOP slate as being part of a Rauner reboot. And we heard it in the governor's speech Wednesday as well. Here's another clip. Within weeks of being sworn in as governor in 2019, I appeared in front of the General Assembly for the very first time with a dire report on the state of the state's finances and an overview of the true fiscal wreckage left for us to clean up. Back then, we had a $3.2 billion deficit. We had $7.9 billion owed in unpaid bills. 
the state had doled out over $1.2 billion in late payment penalties. We had suffered an astonishing eight credit rating downgrades in the years 2015 to 2017, and our credit hovered at just one notch above junk status. I made a promise that day. I said, budgeting will not be done anymore by taking the state hostage or by court orders or consent decrees and continuing appropriations, but instead by debate and compromise and a return to regular order. We will work together earnestly to solve the state's problems. We will disagree at times on important things, but the work we all came here to do will get done. I believe that if we're ever going to fix what is broken in the American political system, it starts with politicians keeping their word. So let me offer an update on the promise of fiscal responsibility that I made to you three years ago. After decades of credit downgrades, by the end of my second full fiscal year in office, Illinois received two credit upgrades, the first upgrades the state has received in over 20 years. The massive bill backlog that contained bills past due for as long as 500 days now contains only unpaid general funds bills averaging 15 days old. And that $3.2 billion structural deficit well, today I'm pleased to announce Illinois will end this fiscal year with a $1.7 billion surplus, the first of its kind in more than 25 years. So that was the governor's defense of his first term fiscal record. And his proposal was largely well received. Crane Chicago Business quoted a pair of independent fiscal focused organizations, Civic Federation President Lawrence Massal and Taxpayers Federation of Illinois President Carol Portman, who praised the governor for using likely one-time revenue windfalls to pay down debts first before creating major new spending initiatives. The biggest instance of new spending of federal funds that I noticed in the budget was $235 million from the Federal American Rescue Plan Act to fund grants for youth violence prevention programs via the Reimagine Public Safety Act. Now that's one of the governor's main public safety initiatives, and we'll have more on that later. Now, Republicans, on the other hand, generally took aim at the temporary nature of the one-year tax relief, calling it an election year gimmick. They also dinged the governor for balancing the budget on the back of federal funds, although Pritzker in his speech claimed it would have been balanced anyway. Here's Senator Sue Rezin, a Morris Republican, who touched on those arguments. Sure. Well, I believe that the governor touched on many issues that are important to all of us, such as uh, increase investment in early childhood development, increase in MAP grants, uh, more money for community colleges and higher ed. Um, however, if you look at the budget in total, the problem is that the governor has expanded government programs by $2.5 billion. And in a year after all of the one-time Biden bucks roll off that many people, many corporations received this year, we're going to, we're headed for a, a budgetary um, downfall and we'll be unable to balance the budget next year. My second concern with what the governor um, proposed is that he proposed one-time temporary tax credits in areas that are important to all people. The problem is, is they're temporary. We have a set of bills and we've been consistently out there that all of the tax decreases, the tax credits should be permanent because we've heard consistently from 
our constituents that the um, the impact, the crushing impact of all of the taxes in the state are the reason that they are leaving the state. When it comes to structural reforms, Pritzker's chief budgeteers in a budget briefing prior to the budget address pointed to the payment of debt rather than creating new spending. The fact that they're using extra money to pay down pension debt and to relieve some of the outstanding bills in the bill backlog is proof of a new sort of era of governance when it comes to Illinois' finances. The argument really didn't sit well with Republicans, which is not a surprise. Jason Barrickman, a Bloomington senator, argued that more is needed in order to get Illinois on a stronger, sustainable fiscal footing when federal funds dry up. The reality is Illinois has long been plagued by overspending. It's long been plagued by uh, political leaders who are unwilling to make the reforms necessary to our government. And what we're seeing in the middle of uh, the speech from the governor, from Governor Pritzker today, is more of the same of that. It's clear that the governor is pandering to voters in this election year. It's clear that his budget is filled with one-time gimmicks designed to generate good news for voters in this election year. But again, I think voters in Illinois are smarter than that. They know that politicians have created the financial problems that we have. They know that Illinois needs uh, fundamental, real reforms to the manner in which it spends its money and that election year gimmicks are going to simply repeat the mistakes of the past. In reality, there's probably an in-between from some of the Republican claims and the fact that the governor claimed he would have balanced this budget with or without federal funds. The federal dollars have somewhat propagated the American economy in recent months and led to some of the income tax and sales tax gains that have led to some of the revenue windfalls that have helped the administration to propose such a budget. At any rate, lawmakers will have the next several months to discuss the final budget package, and it always changes a little bit, or sometimes a lot, from the governor's initial proposal. One thing to watch is pushback from labor unions on the gas tax holiday, as they say it could affect the Rebuild Illinois plan for fixing the state's roads and building new highways and whatnot. With that, I'll welcome in our reporting team, who followed the budget address from the warmth of our own homes, as snow blanketed our neck of the woods in the capital city. All right, so first I'm going to talk to Grace Kinnicutt, our public affairs reporting intern from the University of Illinois Springfield for this session. Um, Grace, you spoke to the comptroller, uh, Susanna Mendoza, who's sort of really focused on the bill backlog in her time in, in office. So what kind of optimism did she show for the budget? She looks for the state to get another credit upgrade, especially with this proposed budget, and then the bill backlog kind of being reduced. She looks for um, by the end of uh, this coming fiscal year or even ne next fiscal year for Illinois to receive another credit upgrading. I know Peter had covered that uh, previously when they did get the two upgrades. And Peter, what, what does an upgrade mean for the state of Illinois? Well, it generally means lower interest rates when the state goes into the market to borrow money. Okay, so another thing Grace has been covering is sort of the interplay between Republicans and Democrats and how they're approaching the crime issue. 
Um, Grace, can you tell us a little bit about the package that Republicans uh, have proposed on crime? Um, So the Senate Republicans recently reintroduced a package of bills that they say will help curb violent crime and provide support to law enforcement. They introduced a similar package back in October. The bills sort of include a tough on crime measures, such as mandatory sentences of 10 years to life for violent gun offenders, imposes a 10-year minimum on those who sell or give firearms to convicted felons, It'll also require defendants who commit aggravated battery against an officer to serve at least 85% of their sentence. And then it also included a Fund the Police Act grant that would provide $125 million in funding per year to local governments to sort of help with the hiring, rehiring, and retaining of officers. It would also help fund with the purchase of equipment in the storage for body cameras and sort of other equipment designed to keep officers and communities safe. Right, and I had asked Governor Pritzker about that to some extent during one of his news conferences uh, the same day they reintroduced that proposal. And he said, you know, we'll, we'll talk about any of these proposals, but I think the budget I'm going to introduce, and now that he has introduced, contains a lot of funding for the public safety aspects of things. But there is sort of a philosophical difference between Democrats and Republicans as to how to approach that. And I'll, I'll play some clips from Senator Chapin Rose and, and the governor shortly uh, showing those differences. But uh, in, from the governor's perspective, what kind of investments did he put forth in his, vest, uh, in his budget? I know I mentioned the Reimagine Public Safety Act. He, um, the, his budget included for the Reimagine Public Safety Act about $240 million to invest in youth-focused violence prevention resources, and that included about $235 million from the Federal American Rescue Plan Act for grants, and then plus another $5 million in general revenue for staffing and operations. Uh, some of the other things in there were, I think, uh, $18.6 million increase to allow for three Illinois State Police cadet classes this year, and I think just covering some of the expenses related to the Safety Act, which is one of the things that Republicans have really pushed back on um, in their effort to sort of address violent crime. So, Grace, can you tell us a little bit about um, the Safety Act and the Republican concerns with it? So the Safety Act overhauls police certification, reforms of use of force standards. It improves police accountability and abolishes cash bail beginning in 2023. The Republicans also want to um, repeal cash bail. Along with that, the governor, he, in accordance with the Safety Act, he proposed for $4.5 million to help fund body cameras for the Illinois State Police. And he also proposed $3.5 million in additional resources through the Illinois Law Enforcement Training Standards Board for operational costs and creating new trainings for officers and creating a public officer misconduct portal. Right. And I think one of the interesting things of the news conference with the uh, lawmakers and some law enforcement officers was that it's really, they're, they're as much worried about the public perception that the Safety Act creates and that some of the officers worried that there's just too much media attention and publicity regarding violent acts towards police. And one of them, one of the officers even 
attributed some of the violence against police to violent video games. So um, they're just the some of the Republican efforts are really just trying to give support to law enforcement in that regard, too. So as I noted, Republicans and Democrats really, I think, just have philosophical differences on how to address rising violent crime right now. And I'm going to play a couple of quotes. First, I'm going to let you listen to Senator Chapin Rose, a Republican from Muhammad, who's sponsoring a lot of these tough on crime proposals and his view of the way things are. And then I'm going to let you listen to Governor Pritzker during his uh, budget address from Wednesday. This is the major, I believe, a major difference between Governor Pritzker and the Democrats and the Republicans. They refuse to lock up truly violent people. I'm not talking about so-called low-level nonviolent offenders. I'm talking about, you know, hardened cons that are shooting people, you know, that shouldn't even be walking our streets in the first place. It goes, let me just say this. We filed our package in October before the veto session, asking them that they have a hearing on our bills to take violent people off the street and to once and for all support our men and women in blue as they do their jobs to, to make the streets safe for the rest of us. They refuse to do that, they being the Democrats. We filed it again yesterday. You know what, within hours of filing it, in, in my the area I represent, University of Illinois student was carjacked at gunpoint by four individuals led on a high-speed chase after that. Later that night, the Meyer store in Champaign had a shooting, okay? Yet, all Governor Pritzker wants to do is throw money at something that may or may not work years down the road. Republicans want to take violent criminals off the streets today. So that was Senator Rose, and here is the governor. With the state and the nation experiencing a rise in violent crime, addressing public safety requires major investments. But too often, those elected officials yelling the loudest about public safety concerns are also those voting to defund government budgets. Crime is a complex and multifaceted problem to tackle, and it's cynical and counterproductive to simply shout, lock them up, while providing fewer resources to the people and programs that prevent crime in the first place. A truly effective approach to tackling crime involves both short-term and long-term investments and a commitment to see those investments through. So I think you heard the differences in approach there. The governor focusing on some long-term investments in violence production program, which Senator Chapin Rose says, you know, those may or may not work down the line. Uh, and the Republicans want some lock em up type stuff right now. The 10 years in life is one of the main things that Senator Chapin Rose is uh, uh, advocating for. But we're going to switch gears here and talk to Peter Hancock about some of the initiatives with healthcare workers and nursing homes and some of the medical aspects of the governor's budget proposal. Yeah, Jerry, uh, I thought it was one of the more significant parts of his budget is that he has several elements in there aimed at trying to rebuild the state's healthcare workforce, which was really kind of hammered during the during the pandemic. There were long periods of time uh, when hospitals weren't able to perform elective surgeries uh, because they were so filled up with COVID patients. 
And so the, the healthcare workforce was really kind of hammered. So he's offering things like more uh, nursing scholarships, uh, more uh, increased funding for student loan forgiveness for people coming out of uh, certain healthcare training programs, career pathways at the community college level. But one of the really interesting parts is uh, this effort, it's been underway for a couple of years to reform the way the state's Medicaid system pays for nursing homes. Uh, he's putting in, he's asking for $500 million, uh, which would come through uh, an assessment. It's called a bed tax on nursing homes. Uh, they pay in the money that draws down additional federal money. And then that would be used uh, for a new payment system that is tied to uh, encouraging nursing homes to hire more staff. A lot of them are very, very understaffed. Uh, to hire more staff and uh, to increase pay for specifically for certified nursing assistants, certified nurse assistants, CNAs. Um, trying to make that career a little more attractive and a little more competitive. Uh, had people at the Department of Healthcare and Family Services say that, you know, they're losing CNAs to places like Amazon that are paying higher wages. Um, so this generally has support within portions of the healthcare, of the nursing home industry. Uh, but one particular group, it's a very large and influential group called the Healthcare Council of Illinois, uh, is kind of pushing back on parts of it. They say that under this new formula, about 130 of their members would be negatively impacted, meaning they would receive less money, including about 50 that might be forced to the brink of closure. Uh, healthcare and Family Services kind of disputes that analysis. They say it's based on the assumption that those nursing homes won't change the way they do business. They notice that those 50 tend to be very, very profitable for-profit nursing homes, and they tend to be understaffed compared to, you know, similar sized nursing homes that are also for-profit. Uh, so they're not convinced that that kind of impact will happen. So now we have two competing sets of bills out there. Uh, we're waiting for them to be assigned to committees. Uh, we'll see which one comes out. They're kind of hope, uh, HCCI says they're hoping to reach some sort of compromise on this. We'll see what happens probably in the next two to three weeks. Right, that's that's a story you're definitely gonna wanna read at capitalnewsillinois.com. But uh, we'll switch gears to Beth who's been uh, really covering pretty well DCFS and their struggles for us uh, since joining us at Capital News Illinois. And um, Beth, what did you see in the budget for DCFS? That's the Department of Children and Family Services uh, to address some of the problems that we've seen. Well, the governor has proposed a, a $250 million increase to hire more child welfare workers and increase uh, the number of beds that are necessary that to hold these kids that have been removed from their homes. DCFS currently has a billion dollar budget. Um, but during when Illinois went without a budget, previous administration, a lot of those um, beds and um, services that were being provided by pri private agencies who weren't getting paid um, folded. 
So in essence, now the state has to rebuild housing availability options and um, create these services that were eliminated. And um, now you're in a, a labor crunch, just like Peter mentioned with healthcare workers, um, you're competing for direct care um, child workers with um, businesses like Amazon. When I looked at um, the contract for one of these providers, they were starting out paying $15 an hour. So um, again, you're competing for, for the same people as McDonald's and Amazon who are paying competitive wages. Uh, resulting from the budget impasse, which I which I mentioned earlier, as you noted, um, as far as the budget goes, what did you hear from? I, I know you covered the Latino caucus and the Black caucus each held their own separate news conferences to say what they thought of the budget. What did you hear from them, and was there anything that you think they're going to push back upon on the governor's budget, or you think they're pretty proud of it? Or I think they think it's a good place to start. Um, it sounded like to me that they were a lot of um, the same things that they were echoing um, in the governor's budget, you know, concerns about um, how equal housing and housing protections um, and violence, uh, community-based violence prevention programs. Um, and it sounds like the Black Caucus is going to push hard for the full impl implementation of the Safety Act. Um they're ready to go. They um, want to make sure that the Supreme Courts have the um, the pretrial services in place for all for the 63 counties that didn't have any, and to make sure that the the um, appropriations are in place to to enact the, all the measures that are included in that Safety Act. All right. Well. I know we're going to have a lot of hearings to follow as uh, the agencies uh, kind of advocate for their own budgets and as the lawmakers discuss what's going to be cut from the governor's plan and what's going to be included. And uh, I think they're scheduled to wrap up on April 8th, is it that this year, the uh, early exit to give them some time to campaign for the June primary. So we'll be following that. But um, that's going to be all for Capital News Illinois today. That's the this is the latest episode of Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. Uh, find more of our coverage at capitalnewsillinois.com.